Welcome to Liberate Your People Pleaser. I'm Brenda Florida, certified life coach, and I am on a mission to liberate people to their authentic power and ideal self-expression. So what's a people pleaser? Well, those of us who are people pleasers are usually very loving and kind. We're empathetic. We also tend to prioritize other people's needs over our own, which leaves us feeling not seen and not heard. We're great at anticipating the needs of others and often put ourselves in second place. We're great doers and nurturers, and we often have the role of keeping the peace, whether it's in our families or in the workplace. Well, the first thing I wanna share with you is that there's nothing wrong with you. But we do wanna take some of these qualities of people pleasing that we focus so much on other people and turn them on to ourselves first, which turns them into our superpower. To find out more, listen to this next episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. Welcome everyone to this episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. I'm Brenda Florida, Certified Life Coach, and I'm super excited today to have a guest. Bella Engelbach is with us. I got to be on your podcast, so I'm happy to have you on mine. And I would lo- I'm really excited about our conversation today around creative thinking and how do we really access that and uh, sort of the roles that um, shoulds have in our lives because we all get caught up in that, especially uh, for anybody who's listening to this in real time. It's early January and, you know, you've just survived the holidays, hopefully, (laughs) and are bouncing into a new year. And it's so easy for something as simple and maybe initially inspirational as a goal, right, that you come into the new year wanting to, oh, I want to, you know, focus on this or do this, whether you call it a goal or not. And then have that turn into a guilt and shame driven thing, which is what the shoulds do to us. So I'm super excited to unpack this a little, Bella. And uh, I'm going to let you tell everybody a little more about yourself and your work in the world so they can know what you do. Thanks so much, Brenda. It's really a pleasure to be here. And it was so much fun when you were on my podcast. So I learned a lot from you. I work uh, in coaching as well, um, also in consulting. My background is in the sciences and in a process improvement. I worked for a pharmaceutical company for many, many years and worked internally to help the pharmaceutical company be more effective and be more efficient, you know, all the things that you need to do to get drugs to people as fast as you possibly can. And uh, now I'm doing uh, more coaching and, and less consulting, which I'm enjoying so much Uh, and one of the things that I'm seeing um, over and over again with my clients and I know that I do it myself is is this should that you just talked about Mm -hmm. so I'll tell you how it comes up I like when I start with somebody and I'm sure you see this when you are coaching as well the first couple of sessions are great and we have we set some goals and we, we start to move forward about how are we going to, and, and I teach people how do you use the scientific method to start to solve your problems and achieve your challenges and, 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 and achieve your goals. And maybe about two or three sessions in, somebody turns up for a, a coaching session and they say, Bella, I am so sorry. I didn't 
do the work that I said that I was going to do. I, you know, I agreed to do in our last session. I should have made time to do it. Yes. Yeah. And I should have done this and I should have done that. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's kind of easy for me to, as, as a coach, to accept that and say, well, yeah, you, you know, you paying this money, which I'm sure is valuable money to you, to me, to get value out of the coaching. So you should have done it. But what I then hear from, from people, and I, again, I know I do this myself, is a very specific, I should have not helped my, you know, my sister-in-law plan her baby shower. Right. I should have um, spent less time with my kids. I should, you know, or something like right. that. Right. So now you, now you've already made a decision about what you should, what you should have done. And this is all part of learning to value yourself and do, and do your own work. Yes. But what happens when we say, when you say, when I say, when a client says, you know, we listeners say, I should like that. I should have done this or I should not have done that. I should not have eaten that piece of cake or, you know, no. I should have, I should have spent more time in the gym, you know, whatever it is. You've completely cut off your ability to think creatively about how you might actually achieve that little goal that you wanted to achieve. Yes. Yes, because I think that as soon as we get into should, I remember, oh my gosh, this had to have been 30 years ago, maybe more, because I was working with a therapist that I worked with a lot during the early part of my journey. And she said, I remember her saying to me one day that shoulds are always a critical parent statement. So when we do that, it's like it triggers in our brain that same kind of shutdown that when we were kids, mm -hmm. you know, and your mom's like, we should, you know, you should have done this. You should have studied harder. You should have cleaned your room sooner. You should have, you know, whatever, whatever, or you shouldn't have, you know, and it's like we hear that critical parent. I think most of us to varying degrees, you know, depending on the situation or the should, we just start to shut down and because we want to avoid, we just want it to go away. You know, right. What do we want to do from our parents? Just go to our room and get away from, you know, mom's voice or right. voice, you know? And so, but, so we're trying to do that with ourselves, but now it's our voice and you can't really get away from yourself. Uh, <laughs> you follow yourself. But I think that it's that shutting down, or you tell me if that if you find that. I think it's in that shutting down that we start to lose all that creativity. I think it's a really, really good insight, Brenda, because when you are when you need to be creative, when you want to be creative, you need to be operating out of the part of your brain that uh, that does that kind of creative thinking. When you're in that when you are reacting to that should have feeling guilty, perhaps hearing that parent voice in your head, yeah. you're probably not operating out of the creative part of your brain. You're actually operating out of a very primitive part of your brain called the amygdala, which is controls your fight or flight response. And that, that completely shuts down creativity. So what uh, really helps with that is, to, is, first of all, I think, to recognize how your body feels. Yes, yeah. Because when you feel that way, when you feel that guilt, many of us can f actually feel it physically. And what you might feel is a little clench in your gut, your mouth might feel dry, 
you know, you kind of feel bad. And that, that's your body telling you that it's that part of your brain, your fight or flight response part of your brain that's reacting. It's actually sending hormones into your body to prepare you for the bad thing that you might have to defend yourself from or run from. Right. Yeah. So, so you're exactly right. You know, I think it, it is a, it is it is a shutting down response and so again that takes away our ability to think about what could i what could i have done and to do yeah. to do divergent thinking so can i take a moment to talk about divergent thinking and convergent yeah, thinking I, and creativity i would i would love to hear because i love that word i just want to drop in one thing so hold that thought one second sure because i realize even as we're talking about this and because you know so much of our audience here are people pleasers. Many people listening will relate to shutting down. But when you just said fight or flight, it did make me remember that for people who are more prone to the fight, you know, instead of the flight, like the flight is the shutting down, right? Because I'm yeah, just, right. Gonna, you know, but the fight might be, you might res respond, react in anger, Right. So you could if you're listening to this, and you're like, nah, I don't shut down when somebody says should to me or I even do it to myself. I get angry and I start, you know, going off on this or that same difference. It's just two sides of the same coin. And I my personal style is always to shut down. So that's what I thought of to say. Yeah. Some people will have a knee jerk reaction of anger because that's just your again, exactly what you said. It's, it's your right. fight or flight. And it can come out either way. So same difference. Um, now, tell me, let's dive into that divergent thinking because I love, I love the word. I love the word divergent. And I would love to hear you unpack that for us. Right. I just want to say that that's so funny you said that because um, I am a fighter and I will oh. come up with somebody says that should to me, I'll come up with 15 excuses, reasons. I'll give them logical arguments why they're wrong. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to punch them. I'm just going to like try yeah. to out verbally outplay them, but it's still, yeah. it's a, still a fight response. Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> right. And, you, and you cannot think divergently and creatively when you are fighting or when you are, when you are shutting down. So yeah. what is divergent thinking? Uh, I want to take you back to uh, the late 1940s, early 1950s. And uh, at that time, and if you remember what, well, of course you don't remember, but you know, if, if you look at what, what- I don't think either of us were born No, No, we went, well, maybe late 50s, but, but, but me, I'm not talking about you, Brenda. Anyway, if you looked at advertising in those days, right. you would see, well, here's what you would see. If they were selling a refrigerator, it would be a picture of a refrigerator. And they would say, here is our refrigerator. It has three shelves, keeps your food cold longer than any other refrigerator, comes in two amazing colors, something right. like that. It would be, here is my product. Now think about advertising today. Right. Like Super Bowl ads. These ads that grab your emotions. I think science ads that you see that you go, I have no idea what that ad's about, but it's right, incredibly right. creative. Right? Yeah. So so how do we get from that, you know, the that here's my product kind of advertising yeah. to where we to where we are today? And the answer to that is that there was um a, a man in um involved in the advertising bill business in New York and he was very interested in it, actually in how could ads be more compelling of course sell more because that's what advertisements do right. and um, he came up 
with this idea that if he got his um, advertising um, executives together, who at that time I think were mostly men, that, and they, they started to share ideas that they might come up with some more and different and interesting ideas. And what that resulted in was uh, this idea that there was such a thing as divergent thinking. That you could that you could actually do divergent thinking, and you can you can do it individually, or you can do it with a group of people. Now, the other thing that he discovered as he started to work on this and work on this with his advertising agency, and actually started to study it, was that there were certain conditions that made um, divergent thinking work better. And the other thing that he discovered was when his company. His, was doing divergent thinking, they mm -hmm. were creating better advertisements and they were achieving more of the goals that they wanted. Now, people have been creative ever, ever since they've been people, right? Yeah. Right. So this is not new, right? Right. right. But, but giving it a name and putting some structure about it and, and teaching it to other people mm -hmm. um, right. was, was new. And so that's actually, you know, everybody talks about brainstorming. That's where brainstorming came from that's wow. how how brainstorming was 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 developed and so this man alex oswalter did some did work on it and then he started working with a psychologist and they actually created a foundation for creative problem solving they spent and so they spent all this time learning about divergent thinking it's and so, how do you do that better there and until because i know what i'm i know some things i'm thinking when i hear yes. you say that di divergent thinking so to me I'm thinking, and I did not pull out a dictionary and look this up before we started recording today. Um, I think of that as being able to look at things from different directions, different perspectives. Yes. Those are the kinds of things that Divergent conjures up in my mind. Is that close or I'm sure that's too, maybe oversimplified, but tell us what, like when he was you know, creating that, even though he didn't realize maybe at the time that's what he was doing. Um, what what is what are the components? Maybe is the way to ask that of divergent thinking or the the characteristics of it. So the the, the main characteristic, at least what I, I said his name right, Alex. It's not Oswald. It's Osborne. So what Alex Osborne really started to go for initially was just a lot of ideas. Uh -huh. That was the first thing was just go for a lot of ideas. It's kind of the idea, you know, if you if you have a lot of something, there might be something good in there. Yes. Right. That's so that's true. Right. So if that's 10 the, ways to do it instead of two, at least one of those other eight might be something better than what those first two were that we came up with. Right. And here's the, and then so, so that leads us into the second principle that that he discovered or rediscovered, which is that. If you take an idea that's not all that great and you combine it with another idea, you might get an even better idea. So the second principle, the first principle is go is just go for for volume. Go for a lot of ideas. Again, when you shut down, you're not gonna do that, right? Because because no every idea, every yeah. idea you're gonna go, no, 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 no. And we'll get to yeah. that in just a second. So the first thing is you want a lot of ideas. The second is that you can actually put ideas together and they can work together. Right? Yes. Okay. Right. Now the third idea is really important when you, um, to pre prevent yourself from stopping your ideas. And that is not to judge ideas when they first come out. 
Yeah, this is really difficult mm -hmm. if you are shut down or you are um, afraid of something or if you're fighting that you know that's where you'll do the no but no but no but you know some you know somebody says or you come up with that you go oh no but that won't work that won't work oh no we tried that before right um so we what we really don't want to do is to is to um judge ideas so and then the fourth principle I can talk about judgment for a long time. Yes, but we do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> we do a whole podcast on judgment and how difficult it is. And the fourth idea, the fourth principle is to seek wild ideas. So that is deliberately look for crazy. Wild ideas. Deliberately seek wild ideas. I love that. <laughs> wow. So true. So true. I do that with clients sometimes when they're like trying to figure out they want to change career paths and they're not sure what they want to do. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll just try to get them thinking like, so what are your five favorite things? It doesn't matter if they go together or not. Right. I love to cook. I love pets. I love to surf. I love to, you know, like whatever. And so can you become the chef dog walker, you know, surf teacher? I don't know, like things that you wouldn't think go together people can put together and create very, uh, not just businesses. That's where my head went first off. Cause I'm an entrepreneur probably <laughs> at heart more than anything, but you know, there's all kinds of ways we can solve even the classic, like I've got too much to do today. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. The wild idea. Love that. Do you have um, an example from your life, whether it's a business example or, or something personal, it doesn't matter, where you can kind of see how you use those skills to, and it ended up changing the outcome for something? Yeah, I mean, I use, I use, try to use those all the time. In fact, it drives my husband crazy, especially the go for quantity, because uh -huh. he'll say, let's do this. And I'll go, oh, but we could do this, or we could do that, or we could do the other thing but but right. i i do i do that all the time you know and i i i i have to say i have a tendency to to make first decisions and yeah. so that's judgment right so i have to i have to learn to pull myself back i'm still learning to yeah. pull myself back from that and make sure i'm exploring more options yeah. and 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 doing you know doing more things you know from a from a business perspective um you know, so an example, you know, really good examples come actually come out of product development. So I worked in product development. So when you are coming up with a new when it, with a new product, you can you can kind of envision the new product. You know, it's going to be it's going to be this or it's a service brand. I'm going to have a service and it's going to look exactly like this. Right. Yeah. Um, and when you move forward with that, what you find out along the way is that that wasn't what customers wanted. People won't yeah. pay for it so on so on and so forth but what if you start out with a number of different ideas you know everyone tells you you know you need to be focused you need you know yeah. yes you do need to be focused but be focused on one small thing at a time so um so we did this a lot in product development in my company where we would have a number of different what we call molecules that were drugs that you know potential drugs that could become drugs they're not all going to make it into market. In fact, most of them don't. But if you start with a lot of them, 
right? Then you could, you have a better chance of ending up with something that will make yeah. it the market. If you have one thing and you say, this is the one that's going to make it, mm -hmm. and it can't, it won't, it's not the right time for it, then you have to go all the way back to the beginning. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 and they, and then the other thing that I really, um, you know, again, this drives my husband really nuts. It's not just the going for quantity, but combining and building. It's exactly wow. what you were saying about that you work with your clients around, around, you know, designing your own career. You know, yeah. you have this idea and this idea, they're both great ideas. Well, how do we do that together? How might we do that together? Yes, yeah. yes. Because we do, I think uh, it's just that sort of the part of our brain that's still kind of primitive, you know, that tends to just want to be on a simple track. Like, let's just, and, and we may not consciously be saying, I want to think that way, but it just kind of will tend to go to, well, I'm good at this. So I have to do that. That's what, you know, my job is because I'm good at that. So that's what I have to do. Right. Um, but it's not, you know, and when we can open up to what's possible instead of just that one track that our mind tends to go on, uh, it, it opens up all kinds of doors, even if you don't do them which is I think where the non-judgment also comes into play mm -hmm. because we we have to. So another thing that always connects to non-judgment for me is especially when I'm thinking about these sort of brainstorming, whether it's professionally or in things you want to create in your own life or whatever, is to not be attached to the outcome. And, and I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg there, but that and non-judgment are very close together and they can help each other, right? If I can stay out of judgment, I can help stay out of attachment. And if I'm out of attachment, I'll definitely stay out of judgment because as much as I'm all about, you know, like you said, focus and getting it done and achieving our goals. And, you know, I'm all about that on the one hand, on the other hand, there's so many times that along the way to a goal, we realize or we get information that could inform us that there's something even better, mm -hmm. but we're not going to go look at that because we're attached to this outcome or things don't go as expected. And we judge that label that as a failure and the defeat and the, all the negativity that comes with that because we were so attached to getting that product on the shelf that when it didn't, we can't see that maybe there's a way that's the best thing that could have ever happened because that makes us go look for some, you know, look for something else, explore that's something else. And so that ability to detach and stay out of judgment, I think those two together are super powerful. What are your thoughts on that? I, I'm so glad you said that because it actually does even go back to judgment. So even when you, you first come up with an idea, um, no judgment means not, you don't only say, oh, no, that's a terrible idea. You also don't say, that's the best idea I ever heard. Yeah. Right? Because that's how you're going to get attached. So I'll yeah. give you an example from my previous life. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was working with, a team that was developing a new drug and 
they were very excited about this particular, what they call mechanism of action. What that means is this drug works in a different way from previous drugs, okay. right? So okay. very excited about it. And they're, they're working on, it's, it's not, it's pretty early in the development of the drug. And they're starting to get that kind of feedback, exactly what you were talking about. Things are not going quite the way they expected. Um, they're getting some data that isn't exactly what they hoped for. And I remember saying to them, what's more important here, this drug or this molecule, this one particular version, or the patient? And so what's the best outcome yes. for the patient, not for this particular yes. chemical, really, yes. really? Because if you get attached to the outcome of the thing, you're right, you may make some really bad decisions. And in some cases, they can be expensive decisions yes, right sure. either personally expensive or financially expensive right yeah i'm gonna keep on going at this thing even though i see the ship sinking right yeah right. right but if you become engaged in the outcome that is about kind of like the greater good if focus on that how you know does this what we're seeing now does this really impact my customer my patient my 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 client you know my my mother my child does it you know how does it really how is it yes what's the greater good here that is that is really different so getting attached to ideas is dangerous it Actually. really is. Oh, I love that. It really is dangerous. It, it and it becomes very costly uh, to both on emotional levels, relationship levels. You know, depending on what the thing is that we get attached to, um, and our own self um, criticism and our own self judgment and our own. You know, why didn't I see that coming? Why didn't I do that different? Why, like all these stressful thoughts. And now you're back to the shoulds, right? I yeah, should have done this. I should have done should, that. Right. You know, I should have been able. I should have been able to guess. Like in business, this happens all the time. I should have been able to see that trend. I should have been able to. I should have known my people wouldn't buy this product or whatever. I should have done more research before I brought the product out. I should, you know, all that stuff. Whereas if we can be more in energy of flowing we can say like we don't have to diminish it this is where i strive to be it doesn't i don't i don't get here often okay <laughs> folks so um don't imagine me as the perfect person doing this all the time but it is what it is what i am working towards uh is to be able to flow with that and say okay well that was disappointing <laughs> you know things didn't go the way i planned when i did that launch or you know whatever and allow that because that's just human that, you know, the disappointment and I don't have to stay fixated on it. Um, I can, because of that non-attachment, I can say, okay, so both, what did I kind of learn? What was interesting to me about it? And then where might that lead me? So if not this, then what I'll get back to those multiple ideas mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. thing, because I love you know, so much of what I do with my clients, even though there's always external practical pieces, because I'm also super pragmatic. One of the things that I think is a distinction with how I work with people compared to some pe some coaches is that I'm always focused first on the inner journey. What's, what's going on inside that then is creating the ripple effect of the outside. 
right? So attachment, all these things, attachment, judgment, all that's inner work. We're not going to change that by buying a new dress or opening a new business or even having a fantastic launch. It feels good. I loved what you said about the non-judgment. It's both for the criticism and the best idea ever. Because <laughs> when you have the when you're fixated on the best idea ever, you have a great launch or something, it's easy to then have that outer experience that you know you did it, but that is also fleeting because it'll just turn if we don't do the inner work first. It, there something there will let loose and turn and it, do, it doesn't last forever no i like i uh saw the oprah interview with uh, will smith on apple tv talking about his memoir which i'm loving i saw it went and got it and started reading it and he talked about how at one point in his success even though he had all these number one movies like all this success he they had one where maybe they came in number two that week in the box office or something like it was still ridiculously successful right and he starts taking it apart well what should we have done what could we have done differently to do that and and he realized he was just trapped in this old thought process of it's never good enough it's never there's always more i can do and da da da, da. and that's what that can happen um, if we're not doing the inner work of staying in touch with, wait a minute, where's the judgment? Where's the attachment? And we lose that ability to both celebrate, be in the joy of it. Um, and if it's, if it was more of a flop, <laughs> then being in the creativity of, okay, then what's next? It's so true. What, what you just said. And the, um, the piece that, really fascinates me is that point at which something you try something it works or it doesn't work and the point at which you decide am I going to learn from this or am I going to bury it or am I going to just move on which you know which are kind of the things that you can do right yeah and what I find is if we deliberately when we set out to do something mm -hmm. also and this is where my scientific training comes in. Um, also think like a scientist and say, well, if I'm doing this, it must be because I have a hypothesis. What's my hypothesis? What do I expect to happen? All right. So now you do an experiment, you know, you, la you, you launch a product, right? You get data back. People buy it. They don't buy it, buy it. You know, they love it. They hate it. They like this part. They don't like that part. Well, how did that compare with what you expected? And what do you learn from that? So, and what I find with my clients, and I, I think um, I would imagine you see the same thing with yours too, is as you start to do that work about what did you expect to happen, and if you if you kind of make that prediction before before you actually do the action, and then you compare it with what actually happened, yeah. that's a lot of where the inner work yeah. happens. So, so somebody might say, well, what I expected to happen was that my boss wouldn't like what I was going to say. And they might come back and say, that was, my, my boss was absolutely thrilled. And, right. and so you have a little party. Yay. That's great for you. Okay. Well, what did you learn from that? Yes. Well, what I learned was that my view of myself and my boss's view of myself are actually quite different. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. No, so those are, you know, that, that it's it's such a great place to 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 
to do both the outer work, like get things done and the inner work, but you have to take those moments of reflection. Yes, yes, yes. Because I think life is always, life is always giving us exactly what we need to go to our own next level. It's just that we don't pay attention to a lot of it. You know, we either like in that example, just yay, celebrate, I was wrong and my boss thinks I'm doing great. Or if it had gone the other way, I think my boss is going to be thrilled with this and he's mad. Then we go into shut down or self judge and, and we just don't, and then we bury it or we just move on or whatever. And we don't look at, well, what is that showing me about me? Not in a judgmental way, but am I making assumptions about how other people, you know, think? Am I like, there's so much there in even a small situation that life, I always think of it like our subconscious is like, Hey, look at me, look at me. You know, it's like (laughs) trying to show you because our subconscious, we're not aware of it. That's the point. It's under our consciousness. So we don't know it's there until something makes us go look for it, like hide and seek. Right. And so I think that life is always, your subconscious is always using life to try to show you what you could see that you're not seeing, but we don't always take it up on the, you know, offer. Yeah. 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 And it may, I mean, it may come out in, in your dreams or in, yes. Yes. You know, in some other way. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about one other thing. Okay. Really creativity. Cause we've talked a lot about divergent thinking. Yes. Um, and so I define creativity, and this is actually not my definition, somebody else's definition, as novelty that's useful, right? So it's great to be creative. And we all know people who come up with jillions of ideas, but never get anything done, right? So so, uh, creativity actually requires these uh, two kinds of thinking at a minimum. One is the divergent thinking, coming up with the ideas Mm -hmm. or the options or, you know, just the, you know, things that you might try. And the other is convergent thinking. Uh, so okay. convergent thinking is sort of the opposite, and it's about selecting what how, what you're going to move forward with next. Okay. So I just want to talk about one of the guidelines for convergent thinking because I think it really touches on on what um, we've been talking about, and that is to be affirmative. Mm. So in convergent thinking, one of the things that we always want to do is to think. Uh, and I think in a way that allows our ideas to stay alive and honors and respects the person who came up with the idea, even if it was our idea. That's probably might even be the hardest, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Particularly if we like, we don't we don't think we're creative. Um, so, um, and I, I'll, let me give you an example of how you can be affirmative. Um, so instead of saying this idea won't work because it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. A- another way to say that is how might we make this idea happen within our budget? Yes. Well, when you say how might we, that opens up, actually opens up more divergent thinking. Yes. Right. I get that. I think the language of that is so important. It's way more than semantics. It changes. It does. It changes. So say that again, how might we make this work in our budget? Within our budget. Oh, how might we change our budget? 
uh, how might we fund it, right? Right. Uh, right. I mean, so now you, you now you're opening up possibilities as opposed yeah. to saying as opposed to saying this idea is too expensive, or you know, or, or yeah. whatever. You don't have whatever, whatever resources. Yeah, there's not yes. enough people. It could be any kind of resources, but we do it all the time with money. I mean, we do it all. We shut ourselves down with money. There's not enough. We can't afford it. Whatever. All the time. And I don't care if it's you want to build a rocket and go to Mars like Elon or you want to get a pedicure next week. Like there's just this way that we will drop into shutting ourselves off from that creative thinking. And with that statement of, well, no, we can't. I can't afford that. No, can't afford to take a trip to Paris. Well, instead, if we could think. How might we get to Paris? We get to Paris. Well, maybe we could maybe we could uh, agree to chaperone a high school group that's yes. going, and they'll pay yes. our way. Yes, exactly. Yes. Maybe we could go do some work, pro bono work, pro bono work for someone who's in the travel business. Yeah. I mean, so I always say, and again, I learned this from other people. It's not like I made it up, but the mind always wants to be right. So if we say, "I can't go to Paris. I can't afford it." It wants to be right. So it will go think up right away. It will bring to uh, you all the evidence, all the reasons why that is so true. Of course you can't because you got this and you got that. And then there's that. And then there's that. And you could never afford to do that because it just wants to be right. So by the same token, if I start asking the question, how might I get to Paris? Well, it's going to be want to be right about that, too. So exactly. So it allows it to go just on a different journey to prove itself right, because our mind is like this little two-year-old, and it just only wants to be right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't care which way it's going. I'm a fantastic person. I'm a terrible person. It'll go prove both of those right, because that's all it wants to do. It's just too, it's very simple in that regard, you know? It just wants to be right. So we got to give it a good assignment. That is a great way of talking about it. Yeah, we get the, we're going we're gonna to give our mind the assignment of how might we. Yeah. Uh, or what are all the ways that we can. So, yes. Yeah. What are more ways? I've thought of yes. this one and that one and maybe that one. I always know if I can only think of two or three solutions, I am not there. Something right. better Something better is out there because there's way more than two or three ways to solve anything. Um, does it? Does this ever happen to you? Uh, it haven't actually happened to me this morning. So I had a problem last night. We went out for dinner, and a dog who I thought had resolved his separation anxiety problems ate the frame around the door. Oh! The front door. So I posted on Facebook in our local Facebook group, I need a carpenter and I need a dog trainer to help me get this dog crate trained. All right, so I've already come up with a solution, right? I'm going to yeah. crate train the dog. Yeah. In like five minutes, I got three or four other solutions from people. Oh, awesome. About how to help the dog stop eating the house. Yeah. Isn't that great? I mean, I mean, we, we've got, that's like the positive use of social media, right? That's plus exactly I got, right. Plus, plus I got a couple of carpenters, but, but, um, yeah. but that's the other thing that's really helpful is, is ask somebody else. Yeah. Right? Oh, you do not oh. have to be the source of all your ideas. That's why coaching is so powerful because somebody else, me, you, whoever is seeing the situation and we don't have the client's lens. 
you know, we don't we don't have any hidden agendas, hidden baggage around. It's not ours. Right. Right. Yeah. That's why I loved in my career before coaching. I managed um, and had leadership positions in a bunch of real estate offices and companies. And so a lot of times I was troubleshooting transactions with agents, but an agent could come to me with a transaction that's just, you know, in so much trouble, it's ready to fall apart. And they've tried every, and they have like, depending on their experience, maybe they've tried a bunch of different things to resolve the problems, but I'm not attached to it. I'm not emotionally involved in it. I, you know, and so I could hear the problem and almost always come up with a different solution than whatever they had tried. And of course they don't always work, but lots of times they did because I don't have that attachment to outcome. I'm not involved with the people involved in the transaction. I'm not working with any of them directly. So I don't have any judgments around those people that they're being too stubborn, that they, you know, they're being self-serving. They're like real estate is a very emotional transaction, you know? And so (laughs) there's a lot of judgments going on. And so I loved having that role. And it's part of what I love about coaching because you can come to me with what you think is the most insurmountable problem. And it's not insurmountable to me. And part of that is just because it's not my problem. Right. And right. I can get into those other solutions instead of just crate trading the jog. I mean, that's just such a perfect example. So I love that. And on that vein, um, because it's we need to wrap up our episode today. It's been great and so many good things here. But I always, you know, me, I always love to be both aspirational and practical. So if a person hearing this is like, oh yeah, like I, I get into judgment. I, you know, I'm not doing that divergent thinking thing. Do you have something really practical to help someone once they realize, I mean, first of all, you have to have the self-awareness to realize you've gotten yourself, you know, down a tunnel (laughs) and you're not doing the divergent thinking. But once you realize that, or what's a way, maybe you have a way that you check yourself on it. So give, give us a practical tip or tool to, for that. So definitely for me, switching my thinking from I can't, I won't, it, it's impossible to how might I uh-huh. always how helps me I. personally. Good words. But the, but the other thing that really helps me and is, you know, is actually a component of, of uh, you know, the original brainstorming is write stuff down and give oh. yourself a goal of, you know, you said if you only have two or three ideas, you know, you don't have enough. All right. Give yourself a goal of 10 ideas. Right. Yes. Right. Make a list. You might make a list of your ideas. A lot of people, uh, if they keep a whiteboard in their in their home or their office, get yes. your post-it notes and make post-it notes with the ideas. Challenge yourself to fill the post-it notes. And I have a really cool little tool here. It's called brain writing. Okay. So brain writing is you're going to take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper um, and you get the small post-it notes and uh-huh. you just you fill it with the eight and a half fill it with the with the post-it notes so you probably get i don't know like 12 or 15 on sure. on your piece of paper depending on the size of the post-it notes fill in ideas maybe you only have three ideas fill in three ideas now if you're doing it with a friend have them fit, look at your list and, yeah. and fill in the next three then you go fill in the next three but just that visualization of i'm going to fill this whole sheet Yes. Really helps. 
Oh, I so that, that's called that. brain writing. And, and you can do it in a large group where you actually pass these sheets around yes. and end up with hundreds of ideas in yes. a short amount yeah. of time. But you can do it all by yourself, too. And don't you think, you know, hearing you say that, it struck me the whole writing it down thing. I think the difference between what we can figure out when all we're doing is running it around our own head you know, I'm talking myself through it and I'm brain. I mean, of course we can brainstorm in our own heads, right? You know, our own heads are capable of doing a whole lot of things, but it is so much more limited up there than once I start writing them down and it can, it starts the exact same thing, right? All I'm writing down is what was just in my head, Mm -hmm. but somehow the, there's something very cathartic about the actual writing it down that then stirs i think other things and and gives me yes. other insights and it, i'll think i've only got these three ideas or whatever and i love the sticky notes i love sticky notes um so, but you could be totally convinced that there's only three ideas and you get them you write them on those sticky notes on that paper something else is gonna spark don't you don't you find that yeah yeah and say them out loud write them down oh. say them out loud Oh, I don't do that a lot. Oh, but you can, a- you can write them down, say them out loud. Yes, because that, that helps say it out loud. Too. Hearing your own voice say something. Same thing with the limiting belief, which is you know a different topic, but although it's all wrapped up in here, when I say my limiting belief, I don't think I'm good enough. You know, like that's an easy thing to have come up in your own head. Almost all of us will have that thought of I'm not good enough to do this or I'm mm. you know, whatever. I don't have enough, whatever. One of those big, broad sweeping statements. And sometimes just saying it out loud helps you kind of see, hear the absurdity in it, yeah. you know, yeah. but that's inside really cool. your own head, it makes all kinds of sense. It's the absolute yeah. truth inside my head. But if I can write it out or I like that too, saying it out loud. That, that I have to remind myself of that. I don't tend to think of it in the creativity problem solving arena, the saying it out loud. I think of it in the limiting belief arena. So that's good. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. I mean, we could go on forever, I'm sure, but we'll wrap it up here, Bella. It's been so profound and informative today. I really appreciate everything that you shared is there any just sort of final uh remark you want to make to the group before we sign off uh well i would say i just heard this recently from a friend of mine don't shoot all over yourself Uh (laughs) yes yes let's make that commitment in 2022 let's stop shooting all over ourselves that's awesome all right thank you so much everybody for joining us for this episode of liberate your people pleaser Thank you for joining me for this episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. So I am very excited to have what I think is my best program I've ever created, the Solve It Method digital program. So you might have heard some of my former podcast um, episodes talking about this really powerful process I've used with myself and clients for years. And not only does it solve any problem, which is where Uh, the name came from what it really does is take you on the inner journey that's required to really make external changes in our lives that 
that take hold, that, that last. Sustainable transformation is another way I like to describe it because if you've been listening to my podcast, you're probably a person who already knows that even if your job is driving you nuts, even if your lover is driving you nuts, even if you know your mother is driving you nuts, changing those circumstances isn't really gonna create lasting change. We take ourselves with us wherever we go, right? So we go get a new job and we're there six months later and realize we've got the same problems that we had before. And that's because the inner work hasn't happened to change us so that we then both attract and are attracted to different professional opportunities, different relationship opportunities, different ways of relating to people that, you know, like our mothers, we're not gonna get a different mother, um, but you will find different ways of relating to her and she won't trigger you in the same ways when we work on the inner part of the journey. That's where the wisdom is. That's where the freedom is. That's where the liberation is. And the solve it method is really a process to do that. It's not outer work focused. It's, there's a lot on desires because I want you to really focus on what you want in your life. But the key to getting it then is going inside and doing the inner work so that then you can manifest it if you want to use that word. I'm not crazy about that word, but anyway, create it is a word I like better in your outer life. So the solve it method is the right thing at the right time. And it's at a special introductory price right now. I want to make it available to everyone. Um, and there's also a coaching add-on that you can do a mastery level of it where you can add on three coaching sessions also at a super fabulous price so go to the show notes all the regular things the private facebook group how to email me all of that's there um, but also is the link for you to get to the registration page for the solve it method digital program and get yourself signed up for that and start it's a series of videos and worksheets so that you can just sort of take yourself through the same process i would take you and then again if you want to sort of really amp it up add that coaching to it because you'll get even more out of it uh, so i can't wait to see you in the solve it method digital program and the next episode of liberate your people pleaser